welcome to the Inside and Beyond podcast, and I'm your host, Natalia Fomichenko. Inside and Beyond podcast brings together conversations about psychology and spirituality to inspire you to live a more fulfilling life, explore your purpose, and realize your full potential. Today, I would like to introduce you to my dear friend and the power woman on her mission to improve global healthcare, Dr. Anastasia Kamenska. Anastasia is a director of corporate strategy at a leading healthcare company. She has nearly 10 years of experience in business and academia, including management consulting with a focus on healthcare and life sciences at a global strategy consulting firm and academic work in the fields of RNA, which stands for ribonucleic acid and gene expression. Dr. Anastasia holds a bachelor in biochemistry from the Taras Shevchenko National University of Kiev, Ukraine, and a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Cambridge, where she was a Gates Cambridge Scholar sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Anastasia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about our topic today. Our topic today is about biochemicals that are developed by our own bodies that increase happiness. So how exactly does happiness depend on biochemicals? So from scientific and clinical perspective, um, there is no very direct correlation about what exactly defines our happiness. We know that to about 40-50% of it depends on our genes. Uh, but then the rest of it either depends on the external factors or um, our internal ways of thinking and the way that biochemicals are flows throughout our body, right? Which could also potentially be linked uh, to our genetics as well. And in general, there are multiple factors that will impact how you feel throughout the day. Uh, they're, of course, based on uh, what you eat, how well do you sleep, how much do you exercise, but also about how you are stimulated throughout the day uh, by various um, internal or external events. And those events can trigger the release of certain biochemical molecules uh, within your body that then makes you feel either good or bad, the way that we as humans define it. So essentially you're saying that up to about 50% of our happiness does not necessarily depend on our genes, which means that we can potentially influence it, which is quite reassuring, to be honest. And I actually saw a research by an American scientist, Sonia Lubomirsky, who has confirmed specifically that 40% of our happiness can be directly influenced on our own. Right. Great. And just for clarification, are neurotransmitters, neuromediators and, and hormones are the same thing? That's a really good question. So the biggest difference between what neurotransmitters and neuromediators, which we can more or less call synonyms, are different from hormones, uh, is by the factors of where they are released and where they act. So normally what we call neuromediators or neurotransmitters tend to be released in the central nervous system or locally between the neurons and they act uh, to basically 
transport certain messages between the neurons, certain signals. While hormones tend to be released further away in the body from the central nervous system or from the place where it will act, and then spreads across the body to multiple organs and systems. So in reality, some of them can even fall into the same category. Oxytocin, um, many scientists will uh, classify as both hormone and neuromediator. But it's a little bit of a question of how do we just define certain terminology. Uh, in general, they act pretty similarly. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for clarification. Now it makes it much more clear for me. So we often hear about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphin. Um, these four are abbreviated as those. So I'm, I'm curious to know what are these, what are the key differences, what activities help us generate those? So those biomolecules have been implemented in our feeling good sensations as humans, right? So of course, there is not still a very clear understanding of how exactly uh, we can stimulate their release, why for some people they will be released more easily than for others. It's of course also depends a lot on the context, but in general, they are the four uh, that we tend to think of when we talk about happiness. Importantly, though, um, there is another chemical that we tend to classify as a negative feeling one, the, the cortisol. Uh, and this is the one that tends to make us feel stressed and in general helps our body to uh, put itself together and be ready to either fight or flight. And evolutionary was created to really help us survive in this world of, of sometimes negative external factors, so to say. Uh, so in general, they all act in a certain interplay between each other. We believe that if you have very high levels of cortisol, it may negatively affect the levels of some of those dose hormones or neurotransmitters. But even between the dose, they also very much intertwined. And until now, we have still limited understanding of how pure increase of one of them can potentially also impact others. So, so all of it is an interesting system that somehow then ends up in us feeling one way or another about yeah. our day. That's definitely a very interesting system and, and it's even more interesting to hack it. <laughs> and that's why we are here. So tell me more about those, those uh, neurotransmitters. How do we make sure that we increase or, or impact in, in any way on the levels of those in our bodies? So perhaps let me start with just describing each of them, right? So that it becomes uh, uh, in general clear. So first one, perhaps the most famous one for all of us is uh, dopamine. This is this Eureka moment type of uh, feeling that it gives us. And it's been implemented, implicated rather in um reward system of the body. So it's the one that uh, motivates us, that helps us learn, and that really gives us that feeling of reward. Dopamine tends to be released quite quickly. Uh, so this is one you get when you play Candy Crush, right? And every time you hear the sound of uh, candies crushing, not that I play this game a lot, but hopefully there's something um, some of our listeners can relate to. <laughs> 
just the sound of it tends to trigger the release of dopamine. Second one is serotonin. Its role in the depression has been known for quite some time. Uh, so the lack of serotonin uh, is believed to be associated with uh, depression and depression-like disorders. And one of the key classes of pharmaceutical medicines uh, that is used to treat depression uh, is based on uh, of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that basically help us to increase chemically the amount of serotonin in our body. And serotonin is responsible for our overall feeling of well-being, our feeling of confidence and accepting ourselves. Uh, and it also gives us this feeling of social power, of knowing that you have an important place in society. Evolutionary, it basically counts you down by letting you know that you are part of certain tribe, of certain uh, social group. Belonging. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's a feeling of belonging. And knowing that this group would not reject you. Knowing that this group accepts you, uh, which means from evolutionary perspective that you are safe because you wouldn't need to fight for yourself alone. Yeah, accepts you and respects you, I guess. Exactly. So that your safety is not threatened. Exactly. And linked to that, oxytocin also gives you a feeling of trust. So this is the hormone slash neurotransmitter that's being released when a woman uh, is delivering a baby and also typically when it uh, breastfeeds its baby for the first time. And that's the biomolecule that allows you to create this bond between people, the, the bond between the mother and the child. And in our adult life, it gives us this feeling of trust and that's what motivates you to build and sustain relationship throughout your life. And the last one, which is perhaps also quite famous, is endorphin. It's the one that gives you the feeling of euphoria. So even the name of it is based on um, endogenous morphine words. Uh, and it's this molecule that allows you to mask pain for a short period of time. So that's what runners uh, call runners high. Mm -hmm. uh, that feeling that even though you thought you couldn't push yourself Further, all of a sudden you get this rush of energy and rush of happiness that allows you to push through the pain to achieve your goal. Yeah, that's a painful way to me to achieve the goal. But I, I do believe it works for so many people. Let's move back a little bit when we were talking about um, natural baseline that we have genetically a neutral state. So my question is, is it possible by exercising all of these activities that create dose to move up this natural bar of neutral happiness and, and be just on average happier than before? This is a very complex uh, question, right? Because overall, this neutral bar will be quite different between different individuals. So it's something that's very difficult to measure normally. 
clinically and scientifically. In general, the reason why we need to return to this bar is actually designed by nature so that it's not beneficial for you to constantly be happy and constantly feel safe. And unfortunately, because evolutionary, we are carrying the genes of survivors. And to survive, you also sometimes need to um, react to certain dangerous triggers in your environment, right? And for that reason, it's important after a short or maybe a little bit more prolonged uh, period of feeling happy to return to your more neutral feeling. So that's when cortisol kicks in, you do get scared and you can react to what's happening in your environment, right? Of course, let's say serotonin reuptake inhibitors do help people with a clinical depression to increase their levels of serotonin in a more kind of prolonged manner, right? Uh, but whether you can shift this baseline permanently is not really clear. I see. Interesting. So my next question is, are all those chemicals really useful all the time? Because in our pursuit of happiness, sometimes it feels like we are running on, on a treadmill from one pleasure to another. And sometimes just intuitively, it doesn't create that of a healthy environment. What do you think of this? This is a really great point, Natalia. And there's a study showing that we can desynthesize ourselves uh, to those biochemicals if we overstimulate ourselves uh, with their release. And the most famous for that, where we, we clearly show some evidence, is dopamine. Uh, this is one that is seen as being uh, quite addictive. The kick that you get from it is quite short-lasting and it's typically leaves you uh, craving for more. So when you find yourself scrolling through social media for hours, very often craving and wanting to eat fast food or sweets and binge watching your favorite TV shows throughout the entire weekend with no stop. Sounds exactly like me next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly when you demonstrating those addictive behaviors to, to dopamine. And it, this is one of your dose biochemicals with which you need to be, in a way, uh, the most careful about. Um, and it, it's important to make sure that you get dopamine in your life through other means rather than those highly addictive, unproductive behaviors. Yeah, it's interesting. So basically, you need to be very aware and conscious of activities that you get dopamine from. And I guess the analogy that comes to mind is is like with eating of easy and, and complex uh, carbohydrates, right? You can get fast energy from very bad chocolate, for example, but then you can have a good energy from good quality pasta and you should try for a more complex foods and in this case, more complex ways to get dopamine that is healthier and, and more sustainable in the long run. And this has effects beyond neurotransmitters. It also, of course, impacts your overall gut health, your overall sugar levels in the body. So it impacts many of the systems of your organism. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Right. So we were talking about activities that help us generate different types of neurotransmitters. And I guess a very important part in incorporating those activities into your life is, is building the right habits. Of course, it's easier said than done. And, and actually, one of my favorite books, uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Dahig, explores the mechanism of setting a habit related to dopamine. So just to give you a little bit of a context, essentially, there are three key components of setting a habit, which are a cue, routine, and a reward. Now, the tricky part is that normally dopamine releases at the reward stage. So, for example, I want to incorporate my morning yoga into my routine. So I have a cue, which is the mat that I see when I wake up, then the routine itself, which is yoga, and then the reward, let's say a nice breakfast. So when I don't have a habit, I have dopamine released at the reward stage only when I see my breakfast. Now, when I repeat it many times, my body remembers that after each routine, I do have a nice breakfast. So my dopamine starts releasing at the cue stage. So when I see the mats, I automatically feel this dopamine release and I automatically go and do my routine. And that means that the habit is incorporated. So basically the dream. <laughs> is that correct? That mechanism, uh, does it sound true? Yeah, there are certain studies showing that indeed uh, we can train ourselves to incorporate new habits based on this mechanism. But of course, that requires a lot of self-discipline and, and motivation. Are there certain activities that one can do throughout the day to increase the amount of those neurotransmitters in the body? Yeah, th there are some studies showing that certain activities more than others can stimulate in the majority of population the release of those uh, biochemicals. But of course, a lot of it will depend on individual phenotype and on the context and the environment in which you do it, right? But generally, it's believed that you can potentially increase the dopamine production if you start celebrating small wins, if you try to break a certain larger goal into smaller steps, or even just create a task list for your day. And every time you achieve certain task, uh, you then tick the box either in your laptop or in your physical notebook. And that action of actually ticking that box is what triggers the dopamine production. Mm -hmm. So not only it actually helps you to keep moving towards your bigger goal and towards having a more productive day, mm -hmm. but it also helps you to produce dopamine through the activities that are, so to say, not counterproductive to your overall physical uh, well-being and, yeah. and the way you live your day. So instead of punching someone for not completing the task in one of your lists, you just cross it out and, and that's much more sustainable way. <laughs> yes. So the ways in which you can stimulate endorphin uh, would be, of course, to exercise. That was been very clear uh, from the studies that heavy physical activities would release uh, more endorphin. But also such activities as laughing or crying, uh, hopefully not for sad reasons, 
could also stimulate it. But it has to be like a really, really um, strong glove, right? The one that uh, makes your apps uh, really move. Uh, so, so the one that to some extent is physically painful, right? Mm-hmm. Also stretching exercises have been implicated in helping <coughs> endorphin um, release and cold shower as well. For serotonin, it's important to think of things that you are proud of, right? Um, it is believed that even just thinking of your past achievements could potentially trick your brain into thinking that it's something that you can be proud of now, which you can be proud of anyway, <laughs> right? And uh, can stimulate serotonin production. The other one, of course, is exposure to sun. Serotonin needs vitamin D for its production. So exposure to sun does help us feel happier. For oxytocin, the easiest way to, to get a release of it probably would be to cuddle with your pet uh, or hug somebody, but ideally somebody you trust. (laughs) (laughs) And just getting a massage. Sometimes even self-massage could help some individuals. Uh, So so there are really quite a few of different daily activities that perhaps may not help all individuals to the same extent, but certainly can generate an overall higher level of well-being. That makes sense. I, I'm listening to you and picturing my ideal day sitting somewhere under the sun, petting my cat, uh, thinking about something I'm very proud of and uh, crossing <laughs> the unnecessary tasks from my list. I think that would be an ideal day. Yes, but what's also important is to make sure that this day doesn't become a routine. So what's important for not constantly coming back uh, to this neutral baseline is to vary your habits, right? So as much as you need to create this mechanism that helps you integrate the habit into your routine, you should still keep it novel to some extent. Otherwise, the moment it becomes a routine, it no longer potentially stimulates release of any biochemicals. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So how to integrate more of those useful habits into our lives? Well, unfortunately, there is no super easy recipes here, right? (laughs) We uh, tend to, of course, try to to find the easiest way, you know, in in everything we do. But building new habits is hard and requires self-discipline. There are certain tips one can think of that potentially may help. Uh, but of course, it also depends on the preferences. So first of all, uh, it is believed that it might be easier to integrate new habits into your existing rituals. Um, and it's typically so happens that most people have their morning routine uh, as the period with the most rituals throughout the day. So when you just wake up, maybe you drink a glass of water, then you brush your teeth and then you do the things you usually do. And those are the places where if you then integrate some of those new habits in between some of your small morning rituals, that potentially will make it most likely to really stick with you. Alternatively, you can also try 
evening rituals as well. Um, those are the two times of the day where we tend to have most routine uh, rituals built in our lives. Why is that? Why morning or evening? Because we are too distracted during the day? Well, uh, it's just when people typically tend, tend to have certain steps that they follow automatically throughout the day, right? Uh, however, morning typically um, tend to stick better with people simply because uh, many of us feel more energetic in the morning. And of course, sticking to a new habit requires a lot of willpower. And that's when having this extra energy helps a little bit. So if you can try to uh, integrate it in, in the morning, and it's also more likely that you're not going to just kind of forget about it throughout the day, that would be potentially more optimal. But it's also important, of course, to listen to yourself and knowing your preferences also try to accommodate that. I have a question that is a bit separate. You mentioned that oxytocin, for instance, release to moms um, or, or women in general when, when they have children. My question is, do both genders have the same types and, and capacity for those neurotransmitters? That's a very good question and a very complex one. In general, there has not been that many studies to really try to delineate the impact of the gender on uh, various neurotransmitters. But there is some limited evidence showing that Perhaps men tend to get more dopamine releases throughout uh, the day and their brains are more wired towards dopamine, while women are more wired towards serotonin. And this is one reason why more women uh, tend to be exposed to depression and depression-like disorders. So women are more wired to serotonin. And what about oxytocin? Is it the same across both genders? Uh, so there's the data is limited. So men definitely also do get oxytocin. There is um, a small study showing that, in fact, that could be what helps uh, monogamy in men. And that's what helps men get rewards for staying long-term with their partner. Because there is a study showing that when men see the face of their long-term partner that they're committed to, they do get a a release of oxytocin, but there's still not enough understanding to, to truly understand how those things are different between um, various genders. And there are still too many men claiming that they're polygamous. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I would say it's just important to remember that all of it is really multifactorial, right? And no one habit can truly change your life, but you really need a balance of multiple things. Again, it's about healthy diets, exercising often, sleeping well, and a lot, ideally, or, or at least just enough that what most of us are already not getting. And then, of course, building uh, long-lasting social bonds, social relationships, and then... On top of that comes this small habits building exercise when if you know that sometimes you feel down, maybe you woke up in a grumpy mood, uh, it's useful to have those little toolkits to be able to deploy to try to drive your mood higher and try to really get yourself that boost of positive energy when you feel you may need it. Thank you so much, Anastasia. It was an amazing conversation. I've really learned a lot. 
Thank you very much.